Amen. You may be seated. Amen. I, I love the, uh, the lyrics on that song, uh, but I also like the way Micah sings it. Um, if you know the original uh, in that song, he's got a, that guy struggles to get to the C sharp as well, but, um, but uh, Micah kills that song. So Micah, thank you for doing uh, that song. I, I love the words. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's say good morning, Brad. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing this morning? Really? Come on now. We didn't get the big snowstorm they were expecting. I know. All right, it's enough to celebrate. And our little Florida boys over there are really happy about that. They Mm -hmm. still think this is winter. How wrong you are. Um, But it's really good for us to be with you. And what is going to be, we believe, a really significant Sunday. And so for a few moments, Brad and I are going to introduce kind of where we're going to go today in introducing the next phase of our Water's Edge vision. Now, this phase kind of began on November the 22nd when we just referred to this scripture that God really laid on our hearts. It's from Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where the disciples were told, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. Now notice where. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That was hugely significant for us as we looked at it because we realized that as a body of believers, God was calling us to be active on mission here, there, and everywhere, and all at the same time. We recognized it wasn't right for us to prioritize here and never think about there. It wasn't right to prioritize here and never think about everywhere. And so we started to dream and say, what would it look like for us to prioritize ministry everywhere, there and here, all at the same time? And so the first part of this was to introduce to you the good news that we are right now a church of five campuses, and we have a vision for a sixth, which Pastor Torrin will lead, that will launch somewhere in Michigan in Easter of 2017. We're excited about that. We're excited about what's going on in our international campuses. Did you know that last weekend in our Jakarta campus, which is located in Jakarta, Indonesia, the largest Islamic population in the world. It's located in the, in the suburb of Jakarta called Bogor, and that has been voted as the most intolerant of every place in Indonesia. Last weekend, Pastor Sandy led 11 uh, Muslims to faith in the Lord Jesus. Just last weekend. What's going on across the, across the world through our ministry is truly amazing. And I'm sharing all of that because all of this is really important. We're going to talk about home. We're going to talk about here. But I need you to remember there. I need you to remember everywhere. Because we believe Acts 1.8 teaches us that we need to be stronger at home and stronger away. Both at the same time. Not either or, both and. And to do that, what we need to do is to recognize that we need to be stronger at home as well. And as we've prayed on that, we just believe that there are certain aspects of ministry at home that we need to retool. 
So we're talking about uh, this facility, the facilities we have here on this campus. Now, now by definition, a, faci- a facility helps facilitate the ministry of those who use it. I mean, essentially, it's the idea that a facility has to create an environment where the kind of ministry that needs to be done can, in fact, be done. Makes sense, right? Uh, our facilities serve as both the hub and the engine for our local ministries. And we believe that they need to reflect and communicate who we are and what we're about. You know, the reality is, is that we, we, we came to this amazing campus in 1975. And since then, Holland has been blessed. The world has been blessed by Central Wesleyan. We have truly reached Holland and beyond. And through a number of expansions, this facility has served this town really well. The reality is, however, that uh, our world has changed. Our country has changed. Our city has changed. And anytime you encounter change, it necessitates adaptability. We have to be willing to adapt. And in order to meet the challenges of today and to continue to reach Holland and beyond, we believe that we need to retool this facility. This facility that houses our ministries and springboards us into the world. Uh, In order to continue to be generous, in order to continue to reach out across the world, that demands that there is blessing and continued stability and strength at home. Only then can we say to those who come after us, those who have yet to sit in these seats, hey, go and reach Holland and beyond again. See, whenever we build and invest, we do it for two reasons. We do it to meet the needs of today, to live out the calling that God has on us today but we also do that to position well those who will come after us the opportunity and ability to live out God's calling for that time in that space as well. You know, here's what we recognize. We recognize that everything we have is as a result of God's blessing on us yesterday. And with that, we say thank you to all of you who have made that blessing possible. God blesses through his people. He is blessed. But we recognize that we also have that responsibility to ensure that we put this church in the right place, to ensure that the legacy of Central does not end with us. And we recognize something. We recognize that over the last decade, The innovation that typified this congregation from the moment we arrived here in 1975 through to about 2005 is actually not as present as it needs to be. And so we recognize that in order to position ourselves to be stronger at home, stronger away moving forward, we've had to look at how we do ministry and how this facility facilitates that ministry. And now we recognize the need to to bring to you plans to put us in the position to make the most of the opportunities that God is presenting to us. 
Now, before we go into these plans specifically, I need you to note something. I need you to note that these plans did not develop with me arriving in July of 2014. In fact, the plans that we're going to present to you today are really a continuation of the plans that had been developed the minute that Central, way back in 1992, 1992, established a long-range planning team to deal with and to wrestle through what this facility needs to look like for us to experience the blessing of God moving forward. I just put a selection of those plans on the screen for you. 2001, there's 2010, there's 2012, and now. What you can see with this then is that there is remarkable continuity in the leading that we present to you today to what the teams in the past actually sensed God saying. So, Brad, unpack that a little bit. What are the implications when we look at the consistency here? Yeah, you know, this, this says several things to us. Uh, the first thing that it says is that the needs have not changed. That over the last several years, people have come together, leadership teams have come together, and they have had this stirring, and they've been said, okay, what do we need? And the needs have remained remarkably the same. I mean, some of you are a little bit map-challenged, and I understand that. These plans are very, very similar. There's some distinctions, very subtle, but by and large, it's virtually the same plan moving forward. The needs have not changed. That's the first thing it tells us. The second thing it tells us is that God has been speaking consistently for quite some time. And that for many of us would lead to ask, okay, so why is now supposedly the time and why didn't we do it before? And that leads us to the third things it tells us, and it's probably the most important thing, the timing hasn't been right. That when these leadership teams have come together and said, these are the needs that we have, this is what we believe we need to do, God consistently held those teams back and said, it's not yet, it's not yet. Well, we stand before you this morning saying that we believe wholeheartedly that now is the time. That from the executive leadership team to the elders, to the deacons, to the building teams, to the West Michigan District of the Wesleyan Church, who has also been part of this discernment process, we believe that now is the time to do this very thing that God has been laying on the heart of this community for a very, very long time. But you know the reality of this is, don't you? <laughs> it's not our call to make. It's your call to make. It's our call as a community to make. And so what we're inviting you into this morning is that over the next two weeks, we're inviting you into a discernment period. That on January 24th, two Sundays from today, we are going to vote as a collective community on whether we take this forward. And we'll give you more details next week on how that's going to happen, but we're asking you to discern as well. And as you start talking about retooling space, and as you're going to hear, it's not only just revamping here, but it's also some additional space that we believe that we need to have, that apprehension can arise, that a lot of questions can arise, um, and even the heart of the project can be questioned. Why are we doing this? Why do we need to do this? 
And so we are going to be sharing with you in just a little bit the what, what we think needs to happen. But before we share with you the what, we believe it's absolutely essential to share with you the why, to make sure that we're all clear on what the heart is behind what we're proposing that God is calling us to do. It's a great quote up there, isn't it? I got to share this back December 6th when we gave kind of a sneak peek about the water's edge vision. People don't buy quarter inch drills, they buy quarter inch holes. (laughs) This is my grandpa's drill. Uh, My grandpa was actually born uh, into a family that had some struggles. Uh, My great grandma got tuberculosis when my grandfather was about a year and a half old. Uh, They didn't think that she was gonna make it. Um, She lived about a year in a sanitarium. God was gracious and spared her life. During that time, though, my great-grandfather had a bout, his first bout, with uh, severe mental uh, health issues. And as a result, uh, my grandfather uh, was separated from the family. Uh, When my grandpa was about four years old, the family came back together, but they were incredibly poor and wound up living uh, for a time in a barn that literally had been housing sheep just a few months earlier. There was no indoor plumbing, no running water, no electricity. So having the 19th century equivalent of a cordless drill was an important thing for my great-grandpa and my grandpa. But as my grandpa grew up, he continued to have a passion for woodworking and building things, just as my great-grandfather did. Uh, But the tools actually began to change. He loved this tool, but my grandpa had all kinds of different drills, right? Because for my grandpa, it was never about the tool itself. It was about what the tool could do. I actually sat in a deer blind in the federal forest up near Nuego that my grandpa built with this actual drill. This is also a drill that uh, my mom bought for me on the recommendation of my grandpa. Uh, It's interesting that my grandpa didn't tell my mom to get me this drill, (laughs) right? Because for my grandpa, again, it had everything to do with what the drill could perform. That was drilling holes. That's what he cared about. Now, when my grandpa was 16 years old, his junior year of high school, God radically transformed his life. My grandpa found Christ. Uh, It's probably better to say Christ found my grandpa. Uh, My grandpa didn't believe that he was worth almost anything. He had almost zero hope. And yet when Christ found my grandfather, my grandpa went from a kid who had no value, or at least believed that he had no value, to a kid who began to understand that he had inestimable value because he was created in the image of God and Jesus had a plan for his life. When he was in his early 20s, my grandpa felt a calling from God to go into full-time ministry My grandpa and my grandma felt a calling from God to move to the Upper Peninsula, to a small little town that didn't have a gospel witness, and plant a church. When they first started the church up there in Iron River, there was no building, there was no facility. And so they began meeting with people in their home, doing Bible studies, sharing their faith. You see, my grandpa had fallen in love with Jesus the hope and life that Jesus brings, and he wanted to share that with others. And so over the years, more and more people in that little town began giving their lives to Christ, began coming together to worship. And eventually, they were able to build a facility that allowed them to do more and more ministry there in the community. After a number of years, my grandpa was called to an established church down in Illinois, 
just outside of Chicago, and he ministered there for a number of years in an established church building. He's been called to a couple of different churches since then, and now my grandpa at 88 years of age, along with my grandmother, uh, about a year ago, moved into a retirement village in Jenison, Michigan. For my grandpa, it's never been about the facility that he has been able to minister in. It's always about what the facility allowed him to do. If my grandpa believed that green carpet on the ceilings would help people fall in love with Jesus, he'd have put green carpet on the ceilings, right? Because it was never about what that actually looked like. It was about what it would help him to do. You see, my grandpa's never been about the drill. He's always been about the hole. He's never been about the building. He's always been about Jesus. So about a year and a half ago, my grandparents moved into this facility in Jenison, and a couple months later, there was a 92-year-old man, a widower, who moved in across the hall from them. My grandpa began to build a relationship with this guy, got to know him, and over the course of conversations of a couple of months, came to realize that this guy didn't know Jesus. Uh, he had grown up in West Michigan his entire life. In fact, there were times in his life that he had been a part of a church, and yet he never understood what it meant to actually give your life to Christ, to have assurance in his salvation. So it was about three months ago, after a number of conversations, that my grandpa had not only shared his faith, but finally came to the point of saying to this gentleman, would he like to give his life to Christ? And together they knelt down, okay, my grandpa's 88, he was 92, I don't think they knelt. They probably sat in chairs together, but they sat in chairs together and my grandpa was able to lead this man to faith in Christ. My grandpa has always understood that it doesn't matter where he's at, whatever facility that God places him in, it's never been about the drill, it's always been about the hole. It's never been about the facility, it's always been about Jesus. My grandfather is passionately in love with Christ because of the hope and life that he found I'm passionately in love with Christ because of the hope and life that I found as a junior in high school as well. The elders of this church are passionately in love with Jesus Christ because of the hope and life that they found. Craig is passionately in love with Jesus because of the hope and life that he has found in Christ. It's what our church has been about for the last 100 years and by God's grace, it's what we're going to be about for the next 100 years. Friends, yeah, we can clap for that. Look, we're passionate about seeing people find Christ. We have a beautiful facility that allows us to gather, but you know, as things change, as Holland changes, and it's going to and going to continue to, that's the reality of the world we live in. We know that there are things that we need to tweak, that we need to reimagine, but let us never forget, it's not about the building, it's what this building allows us to do, and that's share the hope and love of Christ. Psalm 127.1 says, unless the Lord builds a house, the builders labor in vain. We want to see Jesus build this house as he has for the last hundred and to see how he's going to do it for the next hundred. That's what we're about. Amen. Thank you, Tom. Please remember that. It's so easy as we get into the, some of the specifics now to remember the bigger picture. The bigger picture is we believe, I'm going to mix metaphors here, forgive me, Tom, but we believe that there is a hole in every heart that Jesus doesn't simply fill but fulfill. And we believe that we are the hands and feet of Jesus, that he calls us to be those agents of transformation, to bring the hope and life of Jesus to all people. And we believe that in this culture of America, in this culture of Holland, we need to retool some of this facility to allow for sacred spaces and sacred places where you can do what you do with Jesus, with people who are just like you, but need Jesus.
Specifically, we believe that there are three aspects of our facility that need to be retooled. Children, next generation, and the legacy generation. To do that, we will be modifying about 17, 18,000 square feet of existing space. But at the same time, we will be adding, I believe it's about 20 to 22,000 feet of new space. What we want to do here is to make sure that you have a grasp for what this is like. And so, remember those three areas, children, next generation, legacy generation, and let's explore together what that will look like. Pastor Craig, our mission here at Central is to amplify hope and life to all. And we believe wholeheartedly that God has placed a special piece of Holland for us to reach. And we believe wholeheartedly that one of the greatest ways of reaching our community is by reaching the families that live in it. And we believe that creating a state-of-the-art kids' playland experience will be able to reach out to not only our families here throughout the week, but also the families that live here in the Holland New Zealand area. We've got some pictures that I would love to show you of this proposed awesome kids' playland experience. It's two stories tall and it can hold over a hundred kids. It also has on the side an additional crawlers location. And this space is actually located in between gathering grounds, our elementary check-in, and then that really large dune buggy that you see that's in the red. It's two stories tall and it is going to be a great safe place that will be open throughout the week. So the question is, why do we do this? Because we believe that the kids in this community are the key to ministering to the families that live here as well. And we are excited about this proposed space to minister to our families here at Central. Thank you, Trav. I want to talk to you about the, the next generations, middle school students, high school students, and young adults. In my hand, I hold a piece of collateral that was given out here at Central 20 years ago. Some of you were probably here and you faithfully gave to this campaign. Let me read just one line from, from this material. Student, spa student ministry space is soon to reach maximum capacity. And that was 20 years ago. If, if you're familiar with our space, our, our facility here, you know right outside, disconnected from our building is, an, is a space known as the block. It's that red building out there. It was a space really that was a Band-Aid created in the 80s that we're still trying to make work in some ways. Uh, it just is not adequate. Uh, if you go upstairs to the third floor, we have a better space uh, that middle school students use, high school students use, and they're doing a great job with, with the tools that they have, but it's, it's still, it's difficult to find, it's difficult to navigate, and it's just one big space. If you're a guest or you're new, it's challenging. Nowhere on our campus, and, and I, I don't want to overstate this, but I do believe it's true. Nowhere on our campus would you walk in and say, huh, this place really values students. We just don't have that space here. And with students after student after student walking away from the church, we have to do something. And we're committed to, to delay no longer. The statistics are staggering with the amount of kids that walk away from the church. They graduate from high school and they graduate from the church. Why can't we change that statistic here in Holland? Why can't we begin to train up and equip young leaders and send them on mission? We've been doing that, but let's do it better, stronger. 
you'll see some pictures behind me. Uh, this is the, uh, some space, proposed next-gen space. There's two facets to it. If you, if we were, you know, the, the lobby will ex- be extended, and you're going to hear about that in just a moment. But right off, this is all new space. You'll, you'll, you'll experience two new spaces. This picture on my left is, is what we're calling the hub. It's like a giant lobby. There's some space for activity and active things, but also some space for small groups, eating, hanging out. There's a cafe. Uh, really, we want to put everyone together in one big flex space. We don't want, you know, jocks to go over here or preppy kids to go over here or, or different kids to go different areas. We want to integrate them. Relationships are critical to ministry. So we want to create a space that facilitates all types of students and families. But then the, one of the most interesting things that we've seen around the country and that we're trying to incorporate in this space is that it's flexible. We can continue to reinvent, reimagine, reuse that space to continually keep it new, fresh, and engaging for students. Uh, And then on the right is just another shot. You see it looking back up towards our building. You can kind of see the cafe back there, that white brick. Uh, It'll be a great facility. Can you show that next slide? Uh, On the right, I'll get to the left in just a second, but on the right is a dedicated worship space. We believe it is absolutely critical to begin to train, impress upon, reveal to students that worship is important. We're not, after we finish in here today, we're not gonna rip these pews out and play dodgeball in here, right? It's gonna stay a worship space. We believe we need to begin to teach, uh, develop this this understanding that worship is important. So often we say, uh, you're too old, students. You're too old not to take your faith seriously. You're too old not to take your faith seriously. But then we treat them like second-class church members. We, we want to end that. And we believe a dedicated worship space is a great way to facilitate that. This picture on the left, that purple area, that shows the, the, the proposed space that is all new, uh, new space, additional space to what we're doing. We're obviously very excited. You're going to hear more about it. But let me say this. This facility will certainly enhance and help us retool for, for students and families, but it'll be for, for every age, every generation, because this impacts everyone. Thanks, Rob. You know, in, in the final leg of this construction, one of our priorities was how do we address the needs of the older generation? We call it the legacy generation. You know, it's been a clear strength around Central Wesleyan if you've been here any length of time, and even that brochure Rob has in his hand going back 20 years. But, but people that are in the mid to later parts of their lives are a tremendous strength of this church, and we want to address some of the needs that, that grow as you get older. And so as we began the design process, we asked our architects to incorporate things that would make it easier and easier for our older generation to participate and be fully part of the faith family here at Central. Currently, they can watch online, and many of you take advantage of it probably on days like this, but we're grateful for the technology that allows people to connect kind of electronically, but we want to make it increasingly easy for people that are older to get from place to place on our campus. And the obstacles are big when you have a big campus. Largely, it has to do with stairs, and it has to do with long distances to walk. So as part of this whole process, we've, we've learned a new term around here. It's called mobility management. And to overcome mobility challenges for people, we created a space that we could, we could move people from within 100 feet uh, they can get to a large classroom, they can get into this building, they can get to an elevator that'll take them down to our large fellowship hall where we can serve meals. So we tried to incorporate that, and so addressing the needs of the legacy generation have, has been a priority. Let me show you a couple slides, too, uh, just to get your bearings. Again, you've seen this one on the left. Uh, 
This, is, this blue space is the new west lobby. That's going to go out this direction. It, it's kind of pointed out towards where the block is currently, if you know where that is. And the, and the, the covered drop-off extends out so that it's an easy way to get into the building. Immediately, there's a, a yellow block there. That's, we're calling it the legacy room, a very large, beautiful classroom that we're going to create as a large Sunday school community gathering space. And then the turquoise spot is the renovated multi-purpose room. That's the old gym. That's the very first building that was built on this campus. You can kind of get a feel for how construction has sort of evolved around it, and we're feeling like we're finishing off the, completing a, another phase of the campus here by doing these two. So to the right would be what the gym would eventually look like. This is the new multi-purpose room. The kitchen's to the left as you look at that, uh, so we can serve through those windows, and probably many of you remember days when this was the whole church right here, but this will be a fellowship space accessible by an elevator. This to the left would be what it would look like to walk in the west entrance. You can see down the down the end of the hallway, you can see the big map on the, on the wall, the map of the world, and our, some verse on the wall. And then to the left would be this legacy room. The legacy room looks a little bit like it does, would, would on the right. That would be the interior view of that. Right around the corner would be an elevator. It would take you down to that fellowship room. All these slides are going to be available to you online. You'll be able to come out and check with us uh, later. But again, mobility management, keeping things within 100 feet for our older generation is a key priority of this next construction. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, folks. The critical piece that we can't get over with all of these photographs is how connected all of these spaces are. It is possible for you, for example, to get to the current gym, the activity center, into the hub space. It will be possible for, for you uh, right there to go from that gym into an elevator that will take you pretty much straight outside the legacy room. So what we, what we can't show you here is how connected everything is. And if you know someone who is mobility challenged, being able to say from the minute you enter, the, the, reach the doors of our church, you will be at most 88 feet away from the place that you want to go. Believe me, it's a blessing. We have many people who are able to go into the uh, Pastor Lynn's uh, gym class, here Sunday school class, but then they go home and stream the service online because it is too far for them to get from the class to the, to the, the service here. We're thankful for technology. We're thankful for all of you watching online. Some of you who are watching online because you thought it was bad outside. It wasn't as bad as you think. But we really believe that that's a poor substitute for actually being here. And we really do think we have a responsibility to make it possible for people to access what God is doing here. They want to be part of the community. And we believe that that needs to be possible. Now, there's an elephant in the room here, right? What are you all thinking? How much is it going to cost, right? That's the, that's the question that we're going through here. That's the elephant in the room. Have you noticed I've been playing with this ball the entire service? It's not because I'm ADDDD. This is a stress ball. And stress balls are really good for working out the stress. So this is the issue, right? Acts 1a tells us to be, what? To do mission here, there, and everywhere. And the reality of leadership is we need to wrestle through how much is too much. What, what is God saying to us? How, how do we navigate this? So what I want to do is, Pastor Lynn, I'd like to invite Pastor Lynn up here, and I want to ask him these questions specifically. How much is this going to cost? Have we been wise with this? Have we done due diligence to this? Now, if you don't know Pastor Lynn, he's been here for 25 years, 
He's been involved in, what, 11, 12 uh, kind of programs like this in his 20-something year, 10, 10 year here. So this is the guy that makes sure with a whole army of people that this church is stewarded and led financially as well as it is. So, uh, Pastor Lynn, I really appreciate you, but these folks really kind of want to know what is all of this going to cost? And by all of this, of course, I'm talking about our vision for La Roca. La Roca needs a new facility. I'm talking about uh, also the regional campus that we will need to fund, as well as our international campuses and what we're trying to do here. So, Lynn, helps out here. What are we proposing? The Water's Edge leads us to a recommendation for a project that is $9.2 million. That's the construction of a new building, renovation of spaces, and funding for campuses. No project of this size would ever come to you without going through intensive prayer and detailed planning. And part of that process has led us to the position of believing that God has led us to this vision. We also believe that the same God who has led us to this vision is the same God who has provided for every major project in our past, and we believe that he will take this vision to its successful conclusion. So, Lynn, are we proposing to the church that we take on $9.2 million of debt? We've enjoyed the last five years of being debt-free. I know it's never been Central's goal to be a debt-free church in that regard, but are we saying here that we are actually going to be $9.2 million in debt? Of course, if he understood Dutch country, he would never ask that question. <laughs> the Welsh do, and I'm sure many of you do that too. <laughs> I'm, I... <laughs> Slipped off script there. Uh, actually, um, we are, based on our projections, peak debt will be no higher than $4.2 million. We believe that we will pay this debt in its entirety um, within a four-year period. Our church remains highly committed to the concept of short-term debt financing. We believe we're able to keep our interest expense at the very lowest possible. We believe that it reduces our risk. And most importantly, it allows us for the long-term investment directly into ministry objectives rather than paying interest. So we're hearing a couple of numbers uh, here. We're hearing 9.2 million, that's the cost of, of everything. We're hearing 4.2 million which is what we anticipate to be the, the kind of peak debt. But obviously there's another factor to that, right? That's the us factor. Talk through that component. We believe that if God's people feels the passion of this vision as deeply as leadership, and that if our people would, en would um, engage in prayer, engage an element of faith and add an element of sacrifice that God would be pleased to raise through us during a three-year period $7 million. And that's what we believe that we're trusting God for in this campaign. Now, when you work that through, please don't add all of these numbers. <laughs> these are the key numbers. 9.2 million is what we believe this project will cost us to put us in a position to be stronger at home and stronger away. Peak debt is anticipated to be $4.2 million with a challenge to us as a congregation to raise $7 million over the next few years. Pastor Lynn, you've been involved in 
in many of these projects. And a number of people who know you well will appreciate that uh, all too often people in your position have to say what I want you to say. Um, and some people will undoubtedly come up to you after this service and say, Len, tell us what you really think. <laughs> so why don't we just spend them some time here. Just share your heart with the congregation and with regard to this. And maybe if I could just add one more item you that's on the screen. whatever you want. In, in addition to what's on the screen. The interest cost of this project, we intend to put into the general budget that we'll pay, treat just like a regular operating expense. As our debt is paid down, those expenses will be shifted over to put into what we call a sinking fund. A sinking fund is a savings account for large building maintenance expense. All of our buildings have a sinking fund. Not only does this provide excellent planning for these future expenses, but they provide a major resource should a, should a financial emergency come on the church. Our banker friends highly value the church's perspective of saving up before we do these major projects. If I could just uh, truly share an honest uh, perspective from you from my heart, it's fair to say that I have been deeply involved in every building project of this church for the last 25 years. One of the things that I have loved about serving with leadership here not only is it their commitment to detailed planning and preparing before something like this is ever recommended to the congregation, but I have been given freedom to speak openly, honestly, and directly with every level of leadership and to the congregation itself. Many people in my position are restricted to speak only in conformity with what the senior pastor wants to say. That has never been put on me in all the years that we have been here at Central. I serve as the staff representative for the finance committee, and I serve as the chairman of the deacon board. And I want to tell you personally and authoritatively that all of us have come to the conclusion of wholeheartedly supporting this recommendation. We have searched the details, we have measured them, we have looked at them from many ways. I have personally presented this project to our board of elders. They have spent intense time praying, considering, and deliberating. And it now comes to you recommended. But that's all that it is, a recommendation. Now it's your turn. For the next two weeks, we ask you to commit yourselves to praying and considering whether this is from God or not. When we come back together in two weeks, when you cast your vote, we believe that is God speaking to us on whether we proceed or don't. It's not based in a democratic process of voting, but we believe deeply it's representative of the collective discernment of God's people, and all levels of leadership are prepared to submit to that. Lynn, thank you. Can we show our appreciation to uh, Pastor Lynn? <clears throat> Back to my little stress ball. That's a lot of money. I grew up in a, in a little town in Wales with a mum who didn't drive because we couldn't afford a car. Never owned a car. The first car kind of my biological family ever owned was actually my first car when I went to seminary. Vacations. I think there was one time growing up in my childhood that I actually went on a vacation with my mum that was not to family. These numbers are big numbers to me. 
They're big numbers. But you know what I've learned? I've learned that I cannot make my scale God's scale. I've learned that when God blesses a ministry like Central to minister to thousands and thousands and thousands of people every week, my scale doesn't work. It doesn't work. Just this week on Friday, just as a result of being able to host a lot of people, we were privileged to host the funeral of Mason Dykstra, the young 15-year-old boy who, who died. What a blessing. My scale would never have made that possible. And so as I've wrestled this through, I share that to, for you to know, these numbers are big numbers. But I recognize we serve a God who, according to his own word, is able to do abundantly more than I ask, think, or can even imagine. That's the scale that God calls me and all of us to think through. There's something else as I was wrestling this through that really struck me. It's this statement. Whenever Central has retooled at home, we've become stronger away. I remember when that principle came to me, it was in a meeting with Pastor Lynn as we were wrestling this through, praying this through, and Pastor Lynn just presented this information to me and said, Pastor Craig, do you realize that when we retooled at home for the last time here, 2001, when this was all built, do we realize that we actually became stronger away? And I looked at the, I looked at the, the stats and it was true. Do you realize that after retooling this facility between 2001 and 2005, in that period, we baptized 300% more people than we did from 1995 through until we built this facility? 300% more people stood up and said, my life belongs to Jesus. We became stronger. But it's not just, it's not just that. It's in so many other areas, and there's one area, especially financially, I want to mention. But as I was going through that with Pastor Lynn, I, I realized that all too often in situations like this, I look at the expense, not the blessing. It's easier for us to see how much it costs and to put an emotion to it than it is to put an emotion to the blessing. It's easier for us, easier for us to look at the expense rather than the gift of this facility that has kept on giving for the last 15 years. It's easier for us to look at the expense than it is the investment that just keeps on growing. This facility costs a lot of money, but the blessing of this facility keeps on blessing year after year after year. And as a result of that, we have become stronger away. Not just at home through baptisms, stronger away. Let me explain that. There are roughly 1,000 balls in here. Roughly, there were exactly 1,000 balls in here after the first service, but obviously for what I'm about to do, there are roughly 1,000 balls in here. 1,000 balls representing $1 million that we invested into missions the year that we built this facility. 
as you as a congregation, many of you, wait up. Should we do this? It's a lot of money. The reality was in the conversation, we should be giving more to missions. Well, this is, the, this is a symbol of the giving to missions. One million dollars, way back in 2001. And then we built this facility. And guess what happened to our missions giving the very next year? Let me show you. Don't fall over those when you get up. <laughs> the very next year, the very next year, our missions giving went up by 44%. It went from $1 million to $1.45 million. 44%. Now, when I looked at this, I'm like, are you like me? How is that possible? Okay? You're paying for a building, you're expanding your ministries, and you're also giving more money to missions. How is this possible? The answer is, everything is possible with God. When it's done for the right reason, in the right way, with the right motivation, God blesses it. 44% in the very next year. And guess what? There has basically been a whole lot of years since then. Every year with numbers just like this where the investment in missions, the investment in a way just gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. This is what we're about. We really believe that America has changed. Holland is changing. This facility is designed to facilitate our ministry. And there are inadequacies in it that basically when our children grow up over the next decade, they will become increasingly distanced from the ministry of our church if we do not change. Not change the message. Change the medium to which that message connects with those people who don't know Jesus. Do you know in a church town like this, there are still 47% of people who don't have any connection with church? 47%. And we believe that God wants this church to connect with those people to all of you. And we want to facilitate the transition of a ministry whereby through the proclamation of the word and the ministries of discipleship that we will do, we will equip all of us to become the hands and feet of Jesus, knowing that there are places and sacred spaces that lost people can come into to know what it's like to be a part of the family of faith. And we believe that in doing this, we will not see less going away, we will ultimately see more and more and more going away, because when we're stronger at home, we're stronger away. Church, we've got one simple goal. Let's be stronger together. Let's be stronger together.
Church, let's be stronger together. Now, there are probably a multitude of questions you've got, whether about the voting procedures, about uh, the financial information. Pastor Lynn has prepared information for, uh, for us all that goes into more details. Uh, also about the plans. Outside, as you leave today, there is a gallery uh, just to the right, as I look, of the information uh, center that uh, we'd encourage you to go through. As you leave today, you'll be given a, a packet just like this that will, you'll be able to pull some things out. It gives you information about a number of important things on there. Also on our website from one o'clock today, a lot of the information that we're going to be giving away and referring you to will be available electronically for you to download. So many questions that we've answered for you that we would encourage you to go through that and use that in your discernment process over the next few weeks. Now, also in this packet, there are a couple of fresh faces, and I'd like to invite Jason Adams and Dan Kappinger to the stage. Jason and Dan are congregational representatives that if the Lord affirms the direction that we are currently taking, these will be the folks that you will be able to go talk to, but also that you will be hearing updates from as a congregation regularly. And what I'd like you to do, guys, is just take a few moments, just to share your heart in this, what God has been doing to stir you to step up in this way, and possibly even what excites you. Sure. Thanks, Trey. Um, so my story starts about a year ago. Um, last winter, I really felt God kind of tugging on my heart to, to get more involved at church and be more involved and do additional things and really kind of grow um, spiritually and, and take that next step. And I didn't know what that was. And my wife and I talked about it and prayed about it, and she kind of felt the same thing as well. And we, we prayed, and we kind of assumed God would give us an answer very quickly. And we prayed, and a month went by, and we prayed again, and another month went by, and, and we kept praying about it. And about five or six months later, um, we, we still hadn't really received an answer, but we knew God was doing something. Um, about that time, I got an email from, from Pastor Lynn, and he said, hey, Jason, um, you've been on my heart for a while, and... I want to talk to you about a ministry opportunity. And the first thing that hit me um, was, oh boy, it's ministry. I don't know if I can do that. I'm not sure um, what you're up to, Pastor Lynn. But um, the second thought was, wait a minute, God has prepared me the last four or five months uh, for something new and something different. And so I met with Lynn and uh, he kind of explained the vision and, and where we feel called to here at Central uh, to take that next step. And I prayed about it and uh, decided that this was, this was what God was preparing my heart for um, the previous four or five months. Um, since then, another four or five months has passed, and I really um, am super thankful for um, you know, the opportunity to serve and working on some of these things. I've really grown spiritually. Um, I've met a lot of great people, and God is really in this, and he is really working in this, and it's going to be super exciting to see what he's doing. So. Thanks, Greg. My name is Dan Kappinga, and I've been attending Central for 32 years. Central's made a huge impact on myself, my wife and I, and our family. And uh, one example of that is when I was 15, uh, Central Dance Seaborn actually had a Super Bowl halftime party. And at the halftime party here up in the youth room, he asked us to recommit our lives to Christ. I made that decision that day to recommit my life to Christ, and it forever changed my life. Um, my wife and I have actually four kids. We have three of our own, and we also have a foster son, Brayden, who is 18 months old. And my wife and I, like Jason, felt God calling us over a year ago that I was going to have some type of an opportunity and a leadership opportunity within the church, within ministry. And we've been praying about that for a year. And then I get the email just like Jason did from uh, Lynn Bruce, 
And uh, we had lunch with Lynn Bruce and Randy Johnson and myself, and we prayed about it. My wife and I discerned about it and asked for God's guidance, and we felt God making it very clear that I had to move in this direction. Uh, we've been very um, discernful over the last several months with our teams, um, with our subcommittees, and it's an extremely exciting time. God's timing is so perfect. Uh, with Lynn's email, with my wife and I's uh, prayer and our thought and our guidance, and it's an incredible time. Thank you. So do remember to pray for Jason and uh, Dan and continue to discern uh, for yourself what uh, God is saying because as both Brad and Linda said, this is not our call. This is our call. And on uh, January the 24th, uh, we will just discern God's will collectively together. The goal of all of this, though, is that our lives praise Him. I want to thank you for your patience, but we just want to end with uh, one song where we all together just praise the name of Jesus. As you go out, remember to collect these. Also stop by the gallery if you can, and at the front, please don't break your neck on the ball. That would be, uh, that would be interesting. Let's stand together, shall we, and just worship and praise the name of Jesus. Thank you. Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my savior on that cursed tree his body bound Entrenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all
baptism meeting 284. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. Thanks for the spirit of worship. Let's see what God's going to do. God bless you. Go with him.